We're, Matt's about to come up and read the Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, can you please put your hand up and Sam will come around and give you one? Uh, while you guys are opening up to that passage, please join me in prayer as we prepare to hear God's word together. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the chance to read your word together tonight. Uh, we pray for all of us that we would put behind us any distractions or thoughts about the week um, and that we would be ready to hear from your word. Um, please teach us through your word tonight and please humble us so that we can take it into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Matt, and I'm going to be doing the readings for us today. The first one is Psalm 25, which is on page 429 of the Pew Bibles. So I'll give you a sec to get to that. Psalm 25, starting at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God out of all his troubles. Uh, the next reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, which is on 948 of your pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What do you do with the experience of shame? I remember once being on a school trip uh, and I had to stay at someone else's house as part of that trip. And within the first hour of me being there, I clogged their toilet. It was horrifying. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, I remember I just did everything I could to fix it. The door kind of faced to outside, so I ran outside and got some sticks and tried to shove it down. And there was nothing I could do to fix it. I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I thought, maybe I'll just never leave. Maybe I'll just live here now. It's not so bad in here. I could just say, after about 40 minutes... The dad rightly came in and was going, hey, I've got this year nine kid. Are you all right in there? And there was nothing I could do. I just had to let him in and confess, and it was awful. What do you do with that experience of shame? You ever do that thing when you get a message from someone, and you read the start of it, and you realize, I've done something wrong, or I haven't done something that I was meant to do, and you just kind of think, I'll just flick off it, and if I don't read it, and then it's just it's out of there, and I don't have to do anything. It's, you just feel... Or maybe someone leaves you a voicemail and you go, it might be someone bad, I think I know who that is. If I don't listen to it, then I don't have to deal with those feelings of shame. What do you do with the experience of shame? In Psalm 25, King David is dealing with the experience of shame. Not shame generally though, but two specific things. First, the shame of his sin before God. Have a look at verse 11. It says, pardon my guilt... For it is great. Verse 7, he cries out to God, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. David feels deeply the weight of his sin and his shame before God. He recognizes that he's not been on God's side, that he's sinned against the Lord and he is ashamed. And second, he's also feeling the shame of his enemies gloating over him. Have a look at verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. See, David doesn't just feel the shame of not being on God's side. He also feels the shame of God not being on his side. How can God let David's enemies exult over him? It's like God's taking their side over his. Which is especially concerning when you recognize who David is. David is God's king, the one that he's made so many promises to. And if God doesn't protect his king, then there's real questions about whether God's promises will be true at all. And so he cries out, God, don't let me be put to shame. What do you do with the shame of your sin before God? That feeling of not being able to look him in the eye. What do you do with the experience of having opposition that seems to gloat over you without consequence. Maybe people who mock you because you didn't join in wear a purple day. What do you do when you feel like God's promises can't be true? What do you do in the face of your shame or when you feel shamed by God? I reckon typically uh, we either ignore 
or we despair. Uh, we ignore, ignore, you might be someone who minimizes it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, I don't really need to worry about it. Uh, or you feel that, that pang of shame and guilt, and you just try to stay busy and not dwell on it. Uh, it's painful if I do. And so if I can just surround myself with friends and enough work and, you know, those moments where I'm alone with my thoughts, if I can just distract myself, have a few podcasts ready to go, I just don't have to go there. You might be someone who's good at ignoring or you might be someone who despairs. You can't help but dwell on your feelings of shame and guilt. You wallow, you spiral, you can't move through that space. It's like you're stuck in mud. What do you do with the experience of the shame of your sin? Feeling shamed by God for letting opposition rule over you, or like his promises may fail. Psalm 25, we see David, the king of Israel, work through this experience in a powerful and real way. It's going to be really helpful for us to look at. So let's have a look at it. Point one, cry out to God and preach to yourself. Have a look at verse one. Of David, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. David cries out to the Lord, let me not be put to shame. He doesn't ignore. He doesn't pretend in front of God. He doesn't hide how he's feeling or refrain from asking. He cries out, God, you know. But he doesn't only cry out. He also moves to preach to himself. Have a look at verse 3. Indeed, None who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. In the midst of experiencing present shame, David preaches to himself the key truth that he needs to hold on to. None who wait for you will be put to shame. Those who trust, those who depend on God are actually destined for honor, not shame. And those enemies who seem to put him to shame now, well, they will be put to shame in the end. That is what is true. That's what David needs to know. That's what he needs to hold on to and take comfort in. No matter how his circumstances feel to him, overwhelmed by shame, no, he is destined for honor. What a powerful and precious truth. It's a truth that we need to know. A truth we need to meditate on and preach to ourselves. None, no one who waits for you will be put to shame. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Sometimes we get stuck in that pattern of listening to ourselves. God would never have me. It's too far gone. I've been on the wrong side of him for just too long. Or you say, God's not for me. He's clearly on the side of others, but he's not on my side. There's something significant and important about preaching to yourself, telling yourself what is true, not listening to that inner voice that tells you what feels true. You know what I mean? Psychologists have actually worked out that God has wired us this way. They'll often get you to write stuff down or say stuff to yourself that you know is true. 
Because we often need to talk to ourselves, not listen to ourselves, so we really believe what's really true. When you feel the shame of your sin, the experience of opposition putting you to shame, when it feels like God's promises might not be true, cry out to God honestly and preach to yourself deeply that none who wait on the Lord will ever be put to shame. You do that. One great way is to read the Psalms. Join with us in the daily Bible readings. You'll notice David does this kind of stuff heaps. Copy it down when you see him do it. Underline, highlight whenever he preaches truths like this to himself. Meditate on it. Take great comfort that those who wait on the Lord will never be put to shame. Wonderful word of promise, isn't it? But we do have to wait. We will one day experience honour eternally. But how do we live in the experience of shame in the present? We're called to wait, but how do we wait well? Well, that's where David goes next. He goes from talking about the future to asking for God's help in the present, that he would wait well now. That's point two, wait well. David shows us four things that are part of waiting well. First, wait by learning to live God's way. Have a look at verse four. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. How does David wait? He asks God to teach him his ways that he might walk in his paths. See, there's something wrong with the person who says, they wait on the Lord, I trust in the Lord, I depend on him, and yet doesn't want to walk in his paths. For David, he knows one has to lead to the other. It's not about living for God that you can earn the things that you're waiting for. No, David already knows the truth, that none who wait on the Lord will be put to shame. And so now he asks God to teach him his path so that he can walk in the ways of the one he wants to please. While he waits for what God has promised, he lives in the way God is pleased. While he waits for what God has promised, he lives in the way God is pleased. And so we ask God to show him what is that way, which is significant, I think. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to live your way. He says, teach me to live your way. David knows he needs God to guide him. He can't just guess or feel or instinctively know just on his own what God's way is. He says, God, there is no other way than for you to teach me. Do you ever get caught thinking that you can just figure it out on your own? I reckon God would be pretty happy with that. If Jesus was in my shoes, I reckon he'd probably do this. I reckon the danger for those of us who have been at church for a while is we can think, I know the way to live, right? I don't really need God to teach me anymore. Like You wouldn't say it like that, uh, but I know what to do. I don't really need to dig into the scriptures as much as I used to because I, I get it. I've been around long enough. No, the truth is, 
We need God to teach us and guide us daily. He does. In his word, through his spirit. It's one of the reasons why we're going to be a church that's shaped by the word of God in everything we do. We know we need God to teach us and guide us daily so that we can live, we can wait well by living his way, growing in godliness, in God-likeness. So are you regularly being taught by God, growing in walking his way? Or has it been a while since you've grown, since you've seen a change in your life on account of God teaching you? I don't want to guilt you. I want to grow you. A deep desire to love the things God loves. A deep desire to walk in the paths that he teaches. It's a beautiful thing. But a fair question, is our sin a barrier to God's instruction? How can God teach me if I'm a sinner? Have a look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble in his way. Sin isn't a barrier to God's instruction. In fact, it's a qualification. Sinners are the very ones whom God instructs. Isn't that incredible? And good news for us. You might feel like God wants nothing to do with you. You're not a good person. The truth is the very opposite. The point isn't that you're good. The truth is that he is. And his instruction is good for us. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. God doesn't only promise blessing for the future. Living God's way now as we wait is good for us. Walking in his paths. His paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. And so pray that God would cultivate in us a heart where we would crave to know God's way and we would live it out. That he would teach us that we might walk in his paths. Wait well by living God's way. And wait well by asking for mercy. Have a look at verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord. And your steadfast love, for they've been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David asked God to have a selective memory. Do remember your mercy and your steadfast love. Don't remember my sin, but do remember me. David, he doesn't run from God, he runs to God. As the present experience of sin plays through his mind, he asks that it would have no part in God's mind. Have you ever thought of, have you had someone who's kind of wronged you before? When you think of them, even if you've forgiven them, do you have that moment where you think of them and it just kind of keeps coming back into your mind, this thing that they've done to you? It kind of always taints how you think about them. When it comes to God, what do you think he thinks about you? What's in his mind? A list of your sins scrolling on repeat. Is that what you think? When we confess our sin 
and ask for mercy. God can extend his mercy in such a way that our sins have no part in his mind whatsoever. It's like he's forgotten them completely. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't just forget, he forgives. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. David deeply feels the guilt of his sin. It is great. You might be like me, someone who minimizes your sin. Forgive me, for my guilt is small, maybe medium. When we minimize our sin, we minimize God's love. And we minimize the cost of forgiveness. No, the truth is, our guilt before God is very great. But that might not be you. You might be overwhelmed by the guilt and shame of your sin. You don't need anyone to tell you how great it is. It's like a backpack that a little kid wears. It's just way too big for them. And you take it everywhere with you. And it weighs you down. You need to know that even when you're lying in bed and you have those waves of guilt and shame rolling over you, it is possible to come to God and to receive his mercy and be forgiven so completely that God can say he doesn't even remember your sin. It has no part in his mind when he thinks about you. You know that? When he sees you, Instead, he sees his very own steadfast love. Just take a moment to let that sink in. Know in your heart that that is true. When you're lying in bed tonight, ask God for mercy and experience the sweetness of his love. Or someone who's not a Christian, it is great that you're here with us tonight. You are in the right place. Uh, you might have a sense of shame in your life. Maybe you don't know why. God says, ultimately, your shame is because of your sin against me. But you can come for mercy and forgiveness. And I can tell you, there is nothing like it. There's nothing better. Come to him. How you wait well until the day when you'll experience honor eternally. God asks you in your shame to come to Him now for mercy. Part three wait well in fear. Have a look at verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Seems to be confusing, doesn't it? To fear the one who has the power to forgive you. But that's actually the point. The power to forgive comes from the one whose power created the universe with a breath, whose power will end the universe and make a new one. He is massive, powerful, and holy, and it's right to fear him. 
You can't wait well if you don't. It'd be like jumping into a lion's den and walking up to a lion and thinking you can pat it like a house cat. No, you need a right fear of a powerful lion. It's not going to go well if you don't. To live well as we wait for God, we need to have a right fear of our powerful God. David says, having a right fear leads to blessing. The one who fears the Lord, his soul shall abide in well-being. Friendship with the Lord is for those who fear him. How fascinating. A wonderful blessing. Well-being for your soul. Friendship with the Lord comes as we wait in fear. Responding to God as he really is. And last... Wait well in dependence on him. Uh, As we see from verse 16 to the end, a string of prayers from David asking of and depending on God in his troubles. Have a look at verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. It's easy to just depend on ourselves, isn't it? To try to deal with our problems in every way, but depending on him. But as we wait to not be put to shame in the end, we must depend on God in our troubles now. David models it for us really helpfully here. Four things David asked for to help him wait well. Wait well by learning to live God's way, by asking for mercy, by waiting in fear, by waiting in dependence on him. Is there one of those in particular that you want to ask God to grow you in, to help you wait well? I'm just going to give you a moment now to write one down, pray, ask God for his help. It's a great psalm, isn't it? It's one that we can use and pray for ourselves as David, who in lots of ways is a guy like us in a, in a situation we can relate to. And yet, he's also significantly not like us. David is the king of God's people. And so to really get the full beauty and power of this psalm, we need to see that it points to and is fulfilled in the true king of God's people. Point three, this psalm is transformed when we understand it in light of Jesus. So each part of this psalm points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. See, Jesus, in the face of sin and enemies, gave himself over to his enemies 
so that our sin and all the enemies of God's people would be defeated forever. When it looks like God's promises had failed for his king, we see they were actually fulfilled perfectly in him. Jesus experienced the shame of our sin, the shame of the cross, that we might experience the honour that belongs to him forever. Children of God. So as we reflect on the key truth in Psalm 25, that none who wait for him will be put to shame. (coughs) It becomes even more sure, even more beautiful, even more powerful for us in Jesus. You will not be put to shame because Jesus was shamed for you. Preach to yourself. Know the hope all the more that none who wait for him will be put to shame. (coughs) And then as we seek to wait well, know that Jesus walked the path before us. He helps us in us now. We ask God, as we ask him to teach us his ways that we might walk in them, remember, Jesus is the one who knows God's ways perfectly. He lived them perfectly. He reveals them to us clearly and gives us his spirit so we can walk God's way freely. In Jesus, we see the better promise that we don't do it alone. We don't do it without help. You don't need to be racked with guilt that you're not living God's way. You can be filled with confidence that in Jesus, by the Spirit, you can walk God's way. And as we consider waiting by asking for mercy, we're, of course, blown away that his mercy is only possible because of Jesus, that we can experience his steadfast love and forgiveness instead of shame. I was struck this week by John chapter 15, verse 9, where Jesus says that the very love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that Jesus has for us. If you stop to think about that, if you know anything about how much the Father loves the Son, you'll be completely blown away. It's immeasurable. There is no greater love in the universe When we call out like David for God to remember his steadfast love for us, to not remember our sins, we can take deep and profound comfort that the very same love that the Father has for the Son is how much we are loved in Christ. When you feel the shame of your sin and wonder, what does God think of you? Know that in Jesus, you are loved by the very love that sits at the heart of the universe. It's worth taking just a bit of time to reflect on and savour that. And as we think about the blessing that comes from fearing God, we look to Jesus, who is, of course, the true friend of God, whose soul truly abides in well-beings and his blessings belong to us in Christ. And as David depended on God in his trials as we waited, we know Jesus depended on his Father and that we can depend on him as he intercedes for us at God's right hand. Psalm 25 is a great and helpful psalm for us in our times, but we see it's transformed 
made more beautiful, more powerful, more real as it points to Jesus and is fulfilled in him. Praise God. So what do you do with the shame of your sin? When you're feeling shamed by God, when opposition overwhelms you, or when it seems like God's promises have failed, cry out to God and preach to yourself. Be real with God and preach to your soul that Jesus experienced the ultimate shame that you might have ultimate honour eternally. God's promises will never fail. And until that day, wait well, knowing Jesus is with you, that he's helping you, that he's gone before you, and that he loves you. Father, thank you so much. Even though our present experience can be filled with shame, we can trust your promise that we will know honour forever through your Son. Thank you so much that Jesus gave up the honour and glory of heaven come to earth and experience the shame of our sin, the shame of being hung on a cross and mocked by your enemies. Father, thank you. We pray that as we wait on you, as we trust and hope and depend on you, that you would help us to wait well. Please teach us. Please grow us. Please give us mercy. Help us to fear you. Help us to depend on you. Help us to be comforted in the love that you have for us, the very love that you have within your own self. Thank you and praise you for these things. Amen.